During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest holds a special place in my heart for so many reasons. Her name is Katie, and she not only listens to the podcast, but she's become a second-tier Patreon supporter in August, right before autumn, my second favorite season of the year. When I received the news of her financial contribution each month to the show, I immediately felt delighted that I am indeed, at least as far as she's concerned, adding a valuable resource to the adoption community. Her kind words were and are an encouragement to me. Katie doesn't remember not knowing that she was an adopted person. She experienced abuse at the hands of her adoptive parents and didn't feel wanted by them in childhood. Her brokenness led her to Al-Anon and Adult Children of Alcoholics, international organizations for people who have been impacted by another person's alcoholism. Decades before leaning into healing from her pain, she found herself in reunion with both sides of her biological family. One side of her original parentage proved most beneficial and loving than the other. Allow me to introduce you to someone who I've been excited to connect with this year and learn about her amazing ability to turn lemons into lemonade. She has done so much work in the area of repairing the damage by others that was done to her early in life. She is resilient and willing to share with you what has worked for her. Katie, I have been thinking about this conversation with you all morning. I think it's going to be so much fun and informative, and I'm just glad that you agreed to have it with me today. And so we'll start with how are you feeling? Oh, thank you, Jennifer. I'm so appreciative to have this talk with you this morning, and I'm feeling really good and looking forward to talking with you. Thank you. I know we talked a little bit about your story uh, a few days ago. A couple of things that came out was that you had far more to share with me. And and so mm-hmm. what's going to be nice about this conversation is I'm going to be learning things about you for the first time, just like the listener. And I think that will make for a very special conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we really jump off, into this mm-hmm. this time together. I really want to thank you for becoming a Patreon second tier supporter to the mm-hmm. podcast. That means so much to me. And mm. it allows me to bring the the podcast each week advertisement free. And so it it's a really big deal. So thank you so much for that. And 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 also just as important 
to me is that you are a listener and you mentioned that you've listened to several episodes. So that's deeply appreciated too. Mm, thank you so much, Jennifer. I so value your podcast and I appreciate hearing the story from the adoptee. And I am so happy to contribute to what you're doing because I really appreciate it. Just warms my heart that you, you've done that. And when I got your email that morning, I was just like overjoyed. It's such a good feeling when you know that you're adding a value to the adoption community. Now, I know you're born in San Francisco, which is one of my favorite cities, West Coast in general. I just, I love that place. I think if I was in a previous life, that must have been where I was. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I know you're on the West Coast still, maybe a few yeah. hours from San Francisco. I think the, the thing that strikes me the most right at this moment is that you're reading a lot of books and getting mm -hmm. memoirs. And, and just so you know, I mailed a copy of my book to you yesterday. So it should be arriving before this episode airs. And um, I, I look forward to you enjoying it. Uh, but one book right now that you recently got was by Florence Fisher, Searching for, yep. for Anna Fisher. And I was telling you that I so enjoyed it. And you started it. And, and do you have just maybe a couple of comments about what you're experiencing. Yes, I started reading it and I'm having a hard time putting it down. It is gripping to me as an adoptee to see how this person knowing, well, not knowing for sure yet she was adopted, but knowing something was out there that she wasn't quite sure about, but looking at herself in relation to the family she was living with trying to find out where she fit in and how she looks like anybody. And it doesn't appear that she does. And I relate to that. So that in of itself and yeah, and just her talking about her feelings of knowing something is not quite the way it seems. Mm -hmm. So I am really looking forward to finishing the book. <laughs> it's very good. Good. Yeah. When we talked um, a few days ago, there were some things that came up I would like you to talk about. And I know one is search and reunion um, yes. and the roller coaster on the maternal yes. side and the joyous paternal reunion. So like wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. Okay, sure. If it's okay, I'll back up just a little bit and say I was adopted as an infant um, I was adopted into a family with two other adopted kids. Um, I had a very rough upbringing. There was abuse and neglect and police were called and all those kinds of things. I knew I was adopted always. I never wanted to look. I never had the desire. But in 1996, there was an acquaintance in my life who happened to look for birth families as, as a hobby. And um, she asked me if she could look for my birth parents. And, she, and I said no. And I would tell her, no, 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 I don't want to look. I don't want to look. And eventually, I decided to let her look because I really didn't think she would find them. I mean, I didn't know anything. You know, mm -hmm. everything was sealed. I mean, all I knew was where I was born, the date I was born, and the name that I was given now, not my birth name, but my adoptive name. And she was able to find the birth father first. <clears throat> and somehow, I don't know how, 
And through him, he was able to name the birth mom. She ended up calling his brother, actually. And the brother said, you want to talk to my brother? And he had him call her back. So they talked and he was very emotional and very happy to hear that there was the baby. The baby was born um, when he and my birth mom were together. They had dated. He was in the Navy. He knew she was pregnant. He wanted to get married and she didn't. And so she was in a you know, a hospital for unwed mothers who were putting their babies up for adoption. She did not want him to know she was there. And so he never knew exactly what happened to the baby. He assumed the baby was born, but he never really knew for sure. So to get this phone call in 1996 to learn that, yes, there was this person that belonged to him was very emotional for him. And he cried on the phone. He wanted to know more about me. And he said he would call me that night. He never called. I never got the call. The days went by, the weeks went by, the months went by. And it was the first time I actually had a feeling around, oh my gosh, I would actually want to know them. It was very hard. It was very painful, but I had to just accept that and let it go. And I did. In the meantime, because he had named the birth mom, turns out she lived very close to me, about five miles away. And I wrote a letter to her just saying that she was found and this is what it was and I don't want anything from her but I would just love to talk to her and maybe see what she looks like and I was really aware of my feeling around I don't want to be a burden I don't want to scare anybody away they probably don't even want to hear from me and that's a reasonable request yeah what you were wanting wasn't asking too much Yeah, I thought so too. Yes. I actually was a mail carrier at that time. So I delivered the letter to her house. I think two weeks went by and I didn't hear anything. I will just share my feeling around um, knowing that I could possibly be connecting with the birth mom wasn't the same feeling that I had around not hearing from my birth father not hearing from the birth mom for two weeks. I I don't recall being sad or in pain about it. It was just like, well, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And eventually she called and the first words out of her mouth were, I have no regrets. I never wanted to be a mom. And she was actually mad that she was found. She said that was not okay, that we were looking for her and it was intrusive to be contacted. So I just... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead, Jennifer. Sorry. What struck me about just your interaction with her, how she was treating you, was something you said that she said, how dare you look for me? Mm -hmm. I felt Mm -hmm. that. like, Mm -hmm. Yes, she definitely felt like it was not okay for me to do that. But she had made a decision and I should have just let that be. Yeah, that line was so heartbreaking because I, you know, I just felt that like even the rejection, but it was like, like a really angry rejection. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry that happened. Thank you. Thank you. 
on the phone call. She said all of those things. I listened. I was very detached. I was very aware of myself that I did not feel connected to this person at all. I definitely didn't want to feel connected to her. I didn't feel like I was talking to my birth mom. It felt like I was just on a business call that wasn't going very well. Mm. But she ended up keeping me on the phone for about an hour. She kept asking me questions. So she was keeping the conversation going, which was interesting. And what sort of questions? You know, well, what do you do? You know, and I told her what I did. And that led to and and I have two kids. Well, you know, what kind of kids do you have? Well, I have two girls. Well, what do they do? What grades? So it just kind of kept going. She kept asking more questions. So it appeared that she actually was interested, but it wasn't warm and fuzzy at all. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, these could be my grandchildren. It was nothing like that. It was more of a I want to know more and you're gonna tell me more. Mm-hmm. I wonder why yeah. she wanted to know more if she didn't want to be in relationship. I don't know either. I don't know either, Jennifer. I was very surprised that I was on the phone for an hour with her. Right. I was like, wow, here she told me right off the bat she didn't want to be found. She didn't want any of this, but yet she's asking me questions. So that was interesting. Yeah. And at the end of that conversation, she did say to me, what do you want from me? And I said, I want to see what you look like. And, and I would like to actually know some medical information because we actually hadn't talked about any of that. I, I really wasn't asking her anything because it was clear to me she didn't want to talk to me. So she did agree to meet me for lunch. So we did meet a few days later. It was a very kind of formal lunch. It was very businesslike, not warm at all. We both arrived. We went inside the restaurant. We sat down. And we did talk about some medical stuff, which was really important. I had struggled with um, low blood sugar, and it turns out that ran in the family. And so she told me about that and gave me actually a tip on, you know, keeping yogurt around. She said that was the best way to bring up the blood sugar level. And uh, that was important to me. And she told me in the conversation when we were meeting face to face that I looked just like my father. Um, That was really neat to hear. I didn't really see myself in her. I I can see it now when I look back and when I just because I know her now, too. But I think there was a part of me that did not want to look like her because I I felt so rejected Mm -hmm. by her. You know, I just I think I had a guard up and a wall up and I did not want to have a connection with her because I felt so, you know, just so rejected again. Of course. Did she warm up at all? No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, when we were leaving, we probably met for maybe it was an hour, not it was an hour at the most. And when we were leaving, I had brought I brought a camera with me. And I said, you know, I'd really like to take your picture because I had friends and that knew I was meeting my birth mother right now and wanted to see what she looked like. Mm -hmm. So I asked her if I could take her picture. And she said, No, Mm. that brought up a little anger in me. I said, you know, I'm going to take your picture and it can be while you're walking away from me, but I'm sorry, you, you owe me this. I don't know that I actually said you owe me this, but that's how I felt. Right, I right. take a picture. So I did take a picture. She was very, it's funny in the picture because you can see on her face and in her just, you know, her body language, she doesn't want her picture taken. But I said, I need to take a picture of you. I, I have so many people who are so curious and 
I want this. Please let me do this. So I, she did let me do it. <laughs> and she didn't, well, I'm assuming she didn't want a picture of you or, or of the two of you. No. Nothing. Did you happen no. to learn during that hour together what's really going on with her? Any backstory or anything to kind of explain her attitude? You know, I really didn't. All I, I mean, she didn't share much about her. The only thing I knew that really um, was interesting to me was she was a recovering alcoholic, which was interesting because I grew up with parents who were alcoholics. And at that time, I had been in Al-Anon. 12-step group for people that have been affected by other people's drinking. I had been in Al-Anon for some years by that time. Mm. And that was interesting. So we actually talked about that. I said, she let me know she was in AA and, and had been for some years. And I said, oh, I'm in Al-Anon. So that's an interesting thing. And she really didn't share much about herself, really. And I couldn't quite feel that feeling of, gosh, this must have just been really hard for her when she put me up for adoption. I I couldn't even feel that because there was no warmth at all. There was no part of her that I could feel that she was trying to connect with me. And I'll just say this, Jennifer, and this is also part of my own observation and judgment, but she was in her 20s when she had me. As far as I could feel and see, she got pregnant. She did not want to have the baby, which is totally fine. It's okay to have that choice and put your baby up for adoption. Totally fine. I had no judgment around that. But just kind of her almost anger and detachment out towards me, I couldn't see. I couldn't understand why that was happening. Right. I can't understand that either. I just absolutely can't understand it. Did she tell you anything about your father? Your biological father she had shared that they just they had dated they only knew each other for five months so they didn't know each other very long and she said they just were dating and and that I look like him she she said I look just like him so that was really neat to hear actually mm-hmm. I appreciated that and I thought I think that's the warmest thing she's told me mm-hmm. really yeah I don't know. It was it was very interesting. And and I was very, very, very mindful of I want her to know that I don't want anything from her. I'm not trying to, like, say, OK, I'm your daughter. You owe me stuff. Not even not even a little bit because I didn't even feel that way. And I was mindful of how I was talking to her and what I was saying, because I kept feeling like, am I giving off a vibe that tells her I'm a threat? Is there something that I'm doing because of her? interaction with me but I don't think I was at all and now that I you know we've known each other now for years this is just part of who she is and there's more to the story of our relationship after we met that day there was no more contact from her for years I would write to her I wrote to her once or twice a year I just felt prompted to just tell her where I was how I was doing I moved at that time in those years and different things you know I got married and different things and I wanted to tell her so I did but I never heard back from her she never responded never wrote back never nothing and so years so I wrote to her for about six or seven years and I never got a response in those six or seven years Mm. so it'll be like once or twice a year you would 
would yes. write and she would not mm -hmm. respond. No responses. Yes. Hmm. And then in 2000, I think it was 2002 or three, she wrote me a letter, first one, and said, it's a pretty long letter. And she said that she wanted to come visit me. I lived out of town now. She wanted to come visit me. And she did share that her mother had passed away. And now she was ready to come and visit me and in, in where I lived. Mm. I, even reading the card, I remember my body felt very tense. I felt very nervous and afraid. But I agreed to it. I said, yes, you know, come, come visit. And she did. She came with her husband and he was very dear. He was a very warm, welcoming, wonderful guy. But she came to visit me and I remember her walking up our steps. I opened the door. She said, you are my daughter. I am your mom. Mm. And I was in like major, my body was completely tense. I was not okay with this. I was shaking. I felt very untrustworthy. I didn't trust her. I thought, why is this big change happening? And she's not slowly moving into this. She's kind of claiming something here and I don't like it. Did you ask her about it? Well, I did. So she ended up staying in our town for a couple days, her and her husband. And so we spent a lot of time together and it was rough. It was really rough because the whole time she was trying to get me to call her mom. She kept saying, you're my daughter, you're my daughter. And I said, please, no, we, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like this. I've been in touch with you for six or seven years. I don't know you at all. And you haven't been open to me. And now you expect me to call you mom and you think I'm your daughter. I mean, oh, no, no, it doesn't work like this. We, we have to go very slow. I mean, slow, slow, backwards, slow at this point. And she was mad about that. It wasn't what she wanted. She wanted it right now and she wanted it away. And so we had quite, quite a few arguments that weekend. It was very stressful. I'm just wondering did she not explain why she did not call and, and respond to you over that six-year period? The only thing she said, actually, in her card, she really didn't explain. It. That's the thing, Jennifer, is that, you know, I kept expecting, kept thinking she'd say, I am so sorry I didn't stay in touch right. with you. There's this weird thing was going on in my life. I had to pretend you didn't exist or something like that, mm -hmm. but that never happened. Mm. It just was, we're here now. I'm ready to do this. You need to be ready to do this. I mean, there wasn't any, gosh, I'm sorry. I wasn't responding to you. Gosh, I wasn't. I mean, she might've said that she just wasn't ready, but I don't recall that. You know, she didn't go into any explanation, no. right? No, right. there wasn't. no. It really wasn't. Mm -mm. The only life thing that happened that changed that she revealed was that her mother passed away. And she did say, you know, her mom was very upset with her that she had gotten pregnant, you know, when she did. And I'm her only offspring. And so she didn't want her mom to know that I was out there. Um, that would have not been good. Mm. 
so after that all these me. years isn't it something mm-hmm. it is it is mm. so interesting and then there's more that i can share about her dad that was wonderful actually <laughs> yeah the um, men the men in this story seem to have really been quite different in a good way yeah. <laughs> yes exactly they really were they really were and yeah and with the birth mom you know we've been in relationship all these years it has been a roller coaster. It has been up and down. I have had to tell her a couple of times, I cannot be in connection with you. We need to take a break. I will contact you when I'm ready. And the reason for that has been, so her husband got very sick. Her husband eventually passed and she wanted me to take care of her. And she said that, mm. you're my daughter and you will take care of me. And I said, oh, no, no. No, no. And that's inappropriate for you to ask. You're not even asking me. You're telling me it's inappropriate. Um, I will not be doing that. If you ask me to help you with something, if you say, gosh, if you're in town, would you be able to help me with? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. That's okay. But to just demand that I'm going to do stuff for you is not okay. It's just not okay. And she would get very upset with me. And (laughs) so She's been a great teacher for me in having boundaries. Mm, that's a she's really a good way to put teacher. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's, she's t- taught you that for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I have to say that even though it's been a rocky relationship, I'm glad we're still in connection. It's pretty good right now. I live in I live in a different town still, and I just take care of myself with her. I've really learned that, that, you know, I can send her a loving text. I can send her a birthday card. We can talk on the phone. But if it gets to be too much, I can say I need to go now. And I've just really learned to take care of myself with her. She does wish I would, you know, move back to that area. And I mean, she wants me to move in with her. She's even said that, which mm. I would have no, not even a little bit of a desire to do that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the question too that I had for you. What what has been meaningful about being in reunion? And I think yeah, that's a big one in in our lives to set boundaries when people don't seem to honor them, mm-hmm. and we get better at it. Yes, yes. You know, the question about what has been meaningful about it being in relation with her, and I can't dis- I can't explain this. And I think it's just being an adoptee. I think I know that her and I have the same DNA. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that for me. Yeah, there's I get something, that. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Even though it's a tricky relationship, I know relationships even with people that aren't adoptees with their parents, they can be tricky. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I'd rather be have a connection with her, whatever it looks like as long as I'm taking care of myself, mm-hmm. not. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I feel I feel that that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just yeah. something about, you know, this is, these people that you mm-hmm. didn't grow up with or have history with or did, didn't take care of you through the years, there's still that DNA connection, that biological yeah. connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And like I see some of her traits in one of my daughters, which is neat mm-hmm. for me, you know. Can I just share about her dad a little bit real quick? Sure. 
she said that both parent, you know, her parents were, you know, not happy she got pregnant. And this, this was in the 60s and stuff. And I know that was the climate then. But when her dad found out, you know, in 2003 or four that I was in her life now, he couldn't wait to meet me. He just couldn't wait to meet me. <laughs> and he actually drove to my town, which was four hours away at 95 years old mm. to come visit me. It was so dear. It was so dear. <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool. And and what I will say, though, and this, you know, I say this with compassion towards my birth mom, she was very she was threatened that her dad was actually very interested in me, which mm. is, I can't explain stuff like that. It just, she was not very thrilled that he came to visit. It was okay that he knew about me, but she didn't actually want him to, you know, have a relationship with me, which was like, I had to let all that go and let her just have her own feelings about whatever. But yeah, that is interesting. She just seems so troubled, just deeply troubled. Um, you know, I'm hearing like to look at things and present things and request things of you in the manner mm-hmm. from beginning to, to to where we are now, I guess. Yes. Like nothing has yeah. gotten better. Not not overall. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she still has expectations of me. They're a little bit calmer a little bit, you know, not as intense because I have put up the boundary that if, if she's demanding things, I will take a break from her. Mm-hmm. So she will still let me know what she wants, but she knows to not demand that from me. She can say it and I can say, you know, no, right. no, that doesn't work for me. No, I will not be moving back. And no, I will not be living with you. Nope. And I now that, you want to. I'm sorry. I bet that feels good to stand up for yourself. It does. It does. And I recognize that it's not me being mean. It's pretty clear to me that it's just not appropriate for for her to make those demands on me. It's not, that's not okay. You know, and, and again, as I shared with her, if you need help with something, please just ask. And if I'm able, I will do it. Mm -hmm. But to just say, you need to do this, or you're my daughter, so you have to no, no, mm-mm, nope, not going to work like that. So today I, I do not call her mom. I call her by her first name. Which is yeah, perfectly a, fine, yes. Perfectly fine. <laughs> we had a situation some years ago, which I don't need to go into it because I think I've illustrated well enough how our relationship has been. But we did have a situation where she got very mean with me because I wouldn't call her mom. Yeah, that was not good some years ago. But yeah, but that's where we're at right now. And I have met my birth dad, so I can share about that too. If you yes, like. yeah, you tell me a little bit, so I'm excited to hear all of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so so as I shared, when he was found, he didn't call. And, and so I had to let that go, and I did, and life went on. And then in 2000, 2007... I heard that voice inside that said, it's time to look for him. I knew his name, but we didn't, I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know anything, his, you know, where he was or his phone number or anything, but I knew his name. I looked up that name and found 13 men with this name that had addresses. 
I wrote a letter that said, this is me. You were found in 1996. You weren't ready. And if you're still not ready, that's okay. But I'm feeling prompted to look for you. If you feel ready and you'd like to get to know me, this is all my contact information. And it's okay if you're not ready. No worries at all. And I wanted to make sure that he knew there's no pressure. Please know that. But I'm just feeling prompted. So I sent it out to 13 men with this same name. And I heard back from like six or seven of them saying, I'm sorry, I'm not the one, but good luck. Hope you find him, blah, blah, blah. And it was about two weeks. Two weeks went by and I really started to feel disappointed and discouraged that I wasn't going to find him. But about the second week, this box showed up on my porch that had been mailed to me. And the return address was his name and his picture. Mm. So I knew this was him the real one. And it was a box. And you look like him, I guess. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just, oh my gosh, I was shaking. I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. My daughter was with me, my 15 year old daughter. I don't know what to do. She said, you got to, you have to open it, mom. You have to open it. Oh my gosh. But how do I do that? I mean, I was really, oh my gosh, I'm hearing from him. It was so interesting to feel that joyous without mm-hmm. even knowing him at all. Right. It's so interesting to me. So I did open the box, long story short, open the box. And there was this beautiful white box inside with a silver silk ribbon and beautiful graphic design picture with purples and pinks. And so I carefully took time to unravel the, the ribbon and take the graphic picture off the box opened the box and there was this pack of pictures, Mm. a letter from him basically saying, I'm sorry, I made you wait. I'm ready to do this now. These pictures of your family. Mm, What a wonderful experience. Mm. Yes, it was great. And so I was like, oh my gosh, and I was looking (laughs) at the pictures and and I could totally see myself. I could see my daughters. He had another daughter. She was 10 years younger than me. So he included pictures of her. And I could see she looks like one of my daughters. So I was like, oh, my gosh, all these people. And right. I'm seeing his mother look like my youngest daughter and stuff. So it was pretty exciting. You know, so that was great. And now I knew his address. So then I wrote to him and sent pictures of me and my daughters and my life and stuff. And then we wrote back to each other for about a year. Mm. I would write to him. He would write to me and he would hand write the, the cards. And he'd always have a photo or new information in every card. He did photography and graphic design. And so he'd always include like a photograph that he took of a nature scene or or something else. And these cards were just beautiful. And I love them. I cherish every one that came. And I would always write back to him. So we did this for almost a year. Aren't handwritten cards the best? Yes, they're the best. (laughs) I've saved every single card. That box that he sent me originally, it looks exactly the way it did when he mailed it. Because every time I open it, I tie that ribbon, I put that, that picture back on top of the box. I love it. I cherish it all so much. So we did this for about almost a year, writing to each other. No, no, we didn't know each other's phone numbers. We didn't know email. We didn't do any of that. It was all cards and letters. And so he lived across the country. I live on the West Coast. He lives on the East Coast. 
And I happened to just feel prompted to say to him, if you ever want to meet, I want you to know that I'm open to that, but it's okay if you don't want to, because I was afraid I would scare him away. I was so afraid. Well, it turns out that he was going to be on the West Coast like two months later for his mom's 90th birthday because she lived on the West Coast, mm. his mom. Your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, <laughs> yes. And they all knew about me now, or he, at least his mom did mm-hmm. and his wife and, and his daughter. And he said, let's meet at a place in Monterey. And he told me the place. And he said, I'll be wearing a red coat. Now, all of this was done by by letters. We never talked on the phone. We never emailed. He wanted it to stay through cards. Mm. And I was fine with that. I said, okay. He gave me his phone number in case for some reason we couldn't find each other. But that was it. Other so, than that, it was all through cards and letters. So before you met mm-hmm. in person, you had never heard his voice. No. And, wow. And I he know. never heard yours. Wow. Mm-mm. Okay. So I pull up. <laughs> to the location and I was nervous because it's a popular place and I thought I'll never be able to park but sure enough there was a parking place right in front there it is <laughs> I'm like okay and okay the universe is with me on this right. and so I look over there and there's this tall man I'm a tall person he's a tall man with a red coat <laughs> and I'm like oh my gosh I'm so nervous oh my goodness now the other thing is that I realized I didn't know if this was going to be a 15-minute meet. Like, he was in Monterey to be there for his mom's birthday celebration with the whole family. I was not meeting anybody else but him. So I didn't know, you know, was this just kind of an obligatory 15-minute meeting? Hey, I'm here, so let's meet. I had no expectation because I had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. So I was okay. I was, but you know, like, okay, how is this going to go? So I'm a little bit nervous, and I walk up to him, and... We look at each other and we shook hands and I said, hi, I'm Katie. And he said, hi, I'm, you know, he told me his name and I said to him, can I hug you? Because mm-hmm. I wanted so badly to hug this man. Right, he had the sweetest right. eyes and we hugged. You're so polite, Katie. You're just so oh. polite. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I get that from him. <laughs> Come to find out I'm just like him. We hugged and he could not let me go. Mm. and he held me very tight and then he only kind of released me while he was still holding on to me to look at my face Mm. because we look alike and then he held me again and he would pull you know kind of bring me back to look at my face and he would hold me again and he was crying Mm. and we were both crying and he's like I'm so happy to finally meet you I said I know I'm so happy to meet you and and so we're you know like you know, just starting to talk. And he said, you know, what do you think? Should we go to lunch? Should we go to Cannery Row? And, and so I was like, oh, my God, we are going to spend time <laughs> together. Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited because I didn't know. You right. Know? And I'm getting so <laughs> emotional over here. I think because what you got, uh, this warm embrace yeah. and acceptance was yeah. from your father. And I yeah. don't know if I've really heard I've heard acceptance, but not to the degree that he gave it to you. I know. Me too. And it just keeps getting better. I mean, we walked for six and a half hours that day, just spent time together, spent the day together. The whole entire time, he's either holding my hand, has his arm around me. Here's a man I've never known. And I would never just let some man, like, put it, you know, be doing all that. 
He was so wonderful. He was my dad, and I felt like that, which is so strange, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't explain it, but this man I felt connected to. I felt like he's somebody I've known. I didn't feel like he was a stranger, a person I just met. Yes, and when you told me a little bit about how your biological father was with you initially, that's Mm -hmm. what made me think of searching for Anna Fisher. There's a scene about her father. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's just extraordinary, I think, um, when we as adoptees are received that way, particularly from our fathers, our birth fathers. I agree with you. Yes, I agree. It, It was beautiful. And we spent the whole day together. As I said, he held my hand. He had his arm around me. Every person we encountered, he said, this is my daughter, which I loved. You know, why did that feel so wonderful? We're with the birth mom. I was totally opposed to it because she didn't accept me. She didn't, there wasn't any warmth with her. Mm -hmm. But with my birth dad, he was all about warmth and acceptance. Right after we first met, we went to lunch. We were eating lunch together, sitting across from the table from each other. He bought me lunch. and, And so we're sitting there eating. And at one point, he puts his head down and he puts his hand across the table. So I, I assumed he was praying. I wasn't sure what, what he was doing. He was kind of waiting a moment. And, and he took my hand. He wanted to hold my hands across the table. And he put his head up and he was crying. Mm. And he said, I can't believe how much I've missed. I am so sorry that I made you wait. And I'm so sorry. And I can't quote him, Jennifer. I'm saying what I heard. I'm so sorry that I didn't get to raise you. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh my God, nobody's <laughs> ever said that to me before. Right. Oh my gosh, right. you know, you, you wanted me? you like, what? Mm. I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, oh my God, this man wanted me. And I said to him, dad, uh, I didn't call him dad, sorry. I called him his name. Oh, please no. I have no hard feelings. I want you to know that, that this isn't about, well, gosh, you should have taken me and not even a little bit. I want you to know that I believe everything happens the way it's supposed to, because I feel like I have to believe that, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. things happen the way they happen, and I just need to be in acceptance. But I'm so grateful that now here we are sitting together, and I didn't want him to think that I felt bad towards him that yeah you should have you know no I didn't even feel like that but I could tell because he was apologizing he was saying I'm so sorry I wanted him to know please know I don't blame you there's no blame Mm -hmm. and so yeah it was pretty beautiful day and and then we just continued on and we continued to write to each other continued to write and then eventually because his mom lived in Monterey it was brought up that, hey, let's meet at my mom's house. He said that. And so we did. And I got to meet his mom, mm-hmm. my grandmother, and she was lovely. And and we met at there a couple of times. I think the first time we met at his mom's house, um, this was probably probably a year after our initial visit. We were walking on the beach together, my birth dad and I, and he said to me, My brother told me to tell you that if you want to call me dad, it's okay. (laughs) And I said, well, do you want me to call you dad? Because I could tell he was protecting himself. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like I could tell he was like, well, what if she doesn't want to call me dad? And I said, well, would would you like me to call you dad? And he said, yes. And I said, I would love to call you dad. (laughs) I could relate to him. I could relate to he's being, he's being considerate. He's being, you know, just the most kind. And I'm like, I'm, I get him because yeah. I see that in myself. I was just going to say you, the way you are, you got from him. Yes. That's yeah. how I see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Multiple times. He's come to visit me multiple times. Every year we see each other. I was graduating with my second career. I was graduating in 2012 with my teaching credential and a friend was throwing me a graduation party in my town. I asked him if he would like to come and he said, yes. And he said, could I bring my other daughter? And I said, yes. Oh my gosh, please bring her. I, I said, I've just been cautious to not, I don't want you to feel like, (laughs) you know, we're always so considerate, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't want to don't want anybody to feel like they have to do anything but yes yes bring her so she came and I got to meet her for the first time she's lovely and we just connected right away it is so interesting Jennifer to meet these people that I've never known never grew up with and it was the most comfortable feeling they stayed at my house and I just felt like my family was there because my family was there yes it was so cool and at the graduation party, I asked her if I could introduce her as my sister, and she was overjoyed and cried and said, please, please, and <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, and then she got married two years later, and I was her maid of honor. Oh, wow. Uh-huh, and she's so happy she has a sister, and it's been cool. She lives on the East Coast also, so we don't see each other often, but when I go there to the East Coast, we get to see each other, so... Yeah, what you've just described with your paternal side to me is just a healthy way to be together. And mm-hmm. uh, you, as you say, ask the questions. I think being polite goes a long way in all of our relationships. It mm-hmm. respects boundaries and it gives people the opportunity to say yes and not assume that people mm-hmm. should be a certain way or do certain things like that. It's just a deep degree of respect that mm-hmm. seems to just been shown in this reunion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. It feels all good. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels all good. Uh, you know, of course I want to honor your time and I just had a couple more questions and one of them sure. is, what has been the most rewarding thing about being better connected to the adoption community? It has, for me, it is filled in some gaps. I find when I'm listening to podcasts from adoptees, I'm hearing my feelings. I'm hearing my story. And I didn't know how much I needed to hear that. It's very interesting you know, now I'm reading books, you know, I'm reading The Search for Anna Fisher, and I've, I've read The Primal Wound, and I just received a, the book by Sarah Easterly, which I'll read after The Search for Anna Fisher. Oh, great. Just, mm-hmm, and I heard about all these books on your podcast, so that's how I even know about them. But just hearing other adoptees' feelings, because mm-hmm. 
I didn't know that I needed to connect with people who have been adopted. And not that their story has to be the same. That's not it. It's just that there is a certain part about knowing where you came from has been a thing without knowing that it was a thing. Yeah. And now that I now that I know where I came from, it's like, oh my goodness. Okay, a lot of things make sense. But then hearing other people's stories, it helps me so much because I have a lot of connections with a couple of other, um, I, I think I shared that I'm in Al-Anon and ACA because of the way I was raised, just kind of healing through those things. But I don't know. I think I know one person that's adopted. I didn't feel a connection with anybody in my family growing up. Nobody understands that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. to hear other adoptees, I really appreciate. It just feeds my soul. Yeah. I know that the tools that you use to deal with such a difficult childhood, and I'm sorry that that happened mm-hmm. to you. One of the tools was um, Al-Anon. I'm familiar with Al-Anon. I've mm-hmm. too attended and, and learned the benefits of that group. We all, I think, have tools that we've used to navigate our journeys as adoptees and thinking of your childhood is there anything else you want to share about that? Because I think sometimes the population at large or we'll say non-adopted people don't mm-hmm. understand that many adoptees are not rescued. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't go from, say, a very difficult biological family to a much, much better family. And um, right. and I think that narrative needs to be known because Mm. I think it's adding more trauma to one's Mm -hmm. life. So if there's anything else you want to say about that, and and even maybe the other tools you use to deal with a difficult childhood. Mm. Yes, thank you. Thanks for asking that question. Yes, you know, growing up the way I did felt very dangerous, very unsafe, and very, very strange because here this couple bought me. I mean, they bought me for $200. There's the, you know, the canceled check that shows, you know, Mm. that there's this baby that was bought at four months old. And so you would think that, boy, you know, they're going to give this baby the best life ever. And I mean, theoretically, that that's what I would think. You know, they just didn't have the tools. They didn't. They adopted three kids. I was told early on that they adopted because they weren't able to have their own kids, which I understand, and but that they wanted to look like every other couple that had kids. So Mm. I think for them, and and I, you know, I say this with respect because I, I don't know, I don't know that they necessarily wanted children. I think they were trying to keep up with the Joneses. And Mm. one way to do that was to adopt these three kids. And But it was a very unsafe household. And as I shared, you know, the police were called multiple times. I mean, a lot. And I called the police most of the time. And there was neglect. We very rarely had food in our house. And I do remember social workers coming to the house to a certain point to check in on things with these three adopted kids. We were adopted at different times. I do remember social workers at a very young age coming to check on things. 
and it seemed after that everything fell apart. Um, you know, they were able to keep things looking a certain way and then they weren't able to. And, you know, and I felt from my adoptive mom that, I mean, this is how I truly felt that she didn't like me. I felt that she was jealous of me, which seems strange, but she would make fun of the way I look. She would make fun of my nose. She would comment on my nose, which I carried with me. I still struggle with that today, actually, which is, I work through that, you know, but it was rough. I, I actually went to the adoption agency in our county around the time that, that the, the, I'm sorry, I can't think of the word, the files started to be unsealed. And I actually went to the adoption agency and asked for a, to have a, a, an appointment with them to sit down and tell them they allowed adoptions for three kids that ended up in a house that was very dangerous. Mm. And that what are they, you know, what are they doing today to make sure that doesn't happen? And, and they were, they appreciated it so much. And they said, you know, we need this kind of feedback because yes, you know, years ago, they, they said things are better. They said, but years ago, yes, they only checked on things to a certain point and then they trusted everything was just fine. So they said that things had changed and they were checking in and they were continuing to check on families. So I, I said, I'm really glad to hear that. And I said, I just need you to know because we looked like we were just fine, I'm sure. Mm, and we weren't. Right. Us three kids were very, were, we were in dangerous situations. That's heartbreaking. With yeah, that's, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah. And I will say, because I always want to make sure I mention that my grandmother, my adoptive mom's mom, I used to run to her house when I was little. I mean, as early, as young as four years old, I'd run to her house. She lived about four miles from us. Eventually, when I was nine, eventually she said, you can come live with me. She saved me for sure. That was good. And I do want to mention one other thing, Jennifer, because I think this is also an important part sure. of my story. Sure. Because, sure. because we were not cared for as children in that house and we were neglected. I was molested by, it was an acquaintance of another acquaintance. It was a man and he was just allowed to come and pick up my sister and me as early as six years old and take us to his house. Mm. And nobody batted an eye at that. And that went on for about three and a half years mm. um, until I finally said, you are not allowed to ever touch me again. And then I had to hide from him because he would come looking for me. And yeah, that was around the age of nine. And that's when eventually I came to live with my grandmother because I told her, if you don't take me in, I will run away and you will never see me again. Mm. And fortunately, she did take me in. She was wonderful, but she just couldn't. She couldn't grasp that these things were happening with her daughter's kids. Right, right. Yeah, she was in, just in major denial, but eventually she could finally see it and, and totally believed me, you know, that this was all happening. So. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry, Katie. I mm -hmm. Thank didn't, you. I know of the abuse and um, yeah, I'm just so sorry. And I know when we met first via email and then mm -hmm. in conversation, I just came to feel like you are a person that is just easy to be around 
yet mm-hmm. there's a lot you've been through and you you clearly have done a, a lot of work through the years mm-hmm. um to be able to yeah. like show up in the community as you have have done and and mm-hmm. be in fellowship with other adoptees such as myself and when we engage I always feel really good and so that's not of someone that's carrying bitterness and resentment and mm-hmm. and anger and and though I know that may you know that may come up for you at times when you think about your journey but I just want you to know you you have come a long way a long mm-hmm. beautiful way even having gone through so much Thank you, Jennifer. And and I I will say I joined Al-Anon years and years ago. I've been in it for a long, long, long time. And that's helped me so, so much. And just in the last few years, I've joined ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics Mm -hmm. or Dysfunctional Homes. And both of those programs have given me so many tools. And it's helped me to just have compassion for my parents who were just broken, they were broken Mm -hmm. and they didn't have the tools. And today I, I do have sadness around my childhood and I do at times have a little anger, but I also can see them as two human beings that they just didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And that doesn't excuse what happened at all, but I don't take it personally today, if that makes sense. I can see that was just who they were and they would have, that would have been that way with whoever they had. Yes. So you don't take it personal, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. That's one of the four agreements I think about. Yeah. <laughs> I love the four agreements. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it in the show notes if anybody's interested. And I believe it's Miguel Ruiz's book, Four Agreements. Yeah. It sounds like you had tools within tools with Al-Anon. Is, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad you shared that because that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then one other tool, if I could mention, for some of the trauma that I experienced that I was having triggers and PTSD around, and I still have some issues that I still work through, I've done EMDR. Mm. And that's been really helpful with a couple of things, especially around like the sexual abuse. I've had a lot of PTSD around that. And I've done some EMDR, which has really helped with some things. Yeah, well, I'm glad you shared that. In closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Not that I can think of. You've shared a lot, and I really appreciate that. I think it's going to be very helpful to a listener that has Mm -hmm. perhaps gone through a similar situation or even just search and reunion, I'm always asking the question, what is possible? And maybe the birth mom is not able to show up. Maybe she's not doing the work. Who knows what the reasons are? But then there is that possibility that maybe extended family members or the paternal side can be a totally different story. Mm. And that to me suggests that we don't have to fear search and reunion and mm. we can remain open to what's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I really, yeah, really thank- enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the opportunity and I have so much enjoyed it. Thank you. 
Each and every time I text or chat with Katie, it is most enjoyable. Three of many reasons include her kindness, thoughtfulness, and supportiveness. These qualities shine through despite difficult and hard times throughout her life. I can appreciate that in reunion with her first mother, she has been able to get better at setting and maintaining boundaries. There is something quite meaningful about that because it is so important to living a healthier life. During times in this episode, Katie's sharing of an abusive childhood is heartbreaking and isn't something that is often spoken about in public. She and I believe that it's imperative for the population at large to know that many adoptees don't feel they were rescued and placed in better environments. I love that Katie went back to the adoption agency to share the idea that adoptees are on their own once the ink dries, when our adoption decree is a problem worthy of being addressed. Thank you, Katie, for having this conversation with me. I'm glad you found my podcast along with others. I'm happy that you've learned so many resources within the community to support your healing journey. I believe in fellowship with other adoptees. We all start to feel a lot better about our lived experience and know that we are not alone. When we do the work, it sure seems to pay off in wonderful ways that we couldn't have imagined. I really appreciate all your support, and I hope you always feel it back from me. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adoptee land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.